Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're finally up and running here. Cover Band Central Podcast, special edition today. This is not the Wisdom Hour. This is a special edition podcast with a special guest today. We have Mr. Brian Tishy. What's up, dude? Hello. How are you doing, Steve? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. All right. So I have this now. This is going to be live on the Cover Band Central page, which has an audience of 85,000, 86,000 now. Sorry. And also in the... Congratulations. Yes. And also live in the Cover Band Central group, which has 20... And unbelievably, all 86,000 are listening right now, right? Yes. Isn't that amazing? Because I hyped this up, man. I was like, everybody has to tune in. It's your job to tune in. So here we go. And we're going in the group now, which has an audience of almost 25,000 now. And it's growing, dude. This thing, like, a, a thousand every four or five days. A thousand new people. It's crazy. I tell you. It's awesome. Yes. Um, so thanks for doing this, dude. I, I know we've been trying to, to make this work for a while now. Um, but, I, re- I you know, I knew about your Christmas CD coming out because you've been working on it for for a long time. And I also wanted to kind of show you off to the audience and uh, that's in Cover Band Central. A lot of working musicians uh, from every level and from every place in the world, from every style of music. And I know with your experience that you you would have a lot to, uh, lot to offer as far as information is concerned. And I'm hoping people will join and start asking questions and, and leaving comments. So... Uh, cool. Booting it up. But it's live on the page now, so hopefully we'll get some people here. But um, the replay is also available after we're done. So uh, as soon as we're done, people can go back and listen from the beginning. Um, so it's immortalized. Um, so for for the audience, just so you know, uh, Brian and I grew up in the same town in, in New Jersey um, in different high schools, but we were both playing in bands at, in high school. And... Uh, Kind of, I guess we met then. The first memory, dude, I don't even know if you know this, but the first memory I remember of meeting you was I, I was living in Lower Lake Hiawatha and I was playing, I had just started playing bass and I was playing in this garage with a couple friends and you came by and I don't remember who you were. You might have been with Frank Dyer, I think. And, um, with Frank Dyer? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, um, and not with Tim Kerrigan? It it might have been Tim too. I, no, it wasn't. Definitely wasn't Tim because there was no bass. I don't think there was a bass. I'm not sure. But we were we were playing like we were playing like living after midnight or breaking the law or something. And then you sat down behind the kit and you just like killed it. And it was like this slingerland, you know, piece of junk kit. And you just killed it. And we were like, holy cow, this guy's good. <laughs> and then later, well, well, that's that's good to know. Yeah. And then later, uh, you were with uh, the Arcaros and. Uh, the Battle of Bands at uh, at the one of those high, at was at County College, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, and what was your band? I, at the when you were playing in there, there I was, I was in a band called Cheater, I think, and it was uh, we didn't play at that battle, but I was there that night 
I went there with a bunch of. But friends. you were there taking notes. You were taking notes like, hey, <laughs> next year, cheaters taking over this battle. <laughs> right. What were we called? We were called uh, nasty. Oh, we were silent rage. Silent Mach rage. Two. Yeah, it's silent rage. That's it. Silent rage Mach Two with Nick Arcaro singing because Joe Le- Joe Le- was the Joe original Lepiro. singer of Silent Rage, but I don't know what Joe's doing now. Uh, but somehow he was a singer in the in these bands, and I don't know how well he could sing though. <laughs> he had the like. Uh, did, didn't he do what? like the Paul Diano type type of stuff? Like he had that sort of look and like the. Yeah, he had the look. He had the look like like he should have been in a Jordache jeans commercial or something. <laughs> but but Nick Arcaro, the whole Arcaro family, are, they're very very talented. And Nick could sing like he could get that Queensryche docking stuff going, right? He could get like that kind of like that melodic metal stuff happening, right? And um, Joe, I, <laughs> I mean, we played a lot. Of, we played Maiden and Priest and Zeppelin and Eric, like some of the best singers in the world. And Joe, I. I don't know. I'm not even knocking him. I just remember, like, he just, I just don't know if maybe he could sing some of the stuff. But we did this one show and, like, better high school, and I don't know. He's, he blew his voice out by, and by the time we got to Stairway to Heaven, when it goes to the high part at the end, he had to just speak it. You know, it's like, and there's a wire down on oh, the road. No. He was like, and there's a wire down on the road. <laughs> I was like. Oh God, I have it all on video. My dad videotapes. Oh really? But um, yeah, man, that was all fun. There was like a little scene going on back then, and and here we are still talking about it. That's funny. Yeah. But it was fun. It was fun. Um, back in the day, meeting other musicians like you know Parsippany for anybody listening, it was like kind of split into two. You had Parsippany Hills High School, and you had Parsippany High School. Right. And I lived on the Parsippany Hills side. Right. But. Because of our buddy Garrett Farn, rest in peace. Wait, he Garrett? turned me on oh, to. No. I didn't even know Garrett passed what? away. That's terrible. That's uh, two thousand seven. Um, yeah, man, that long ago. Uh, I remember Garrett. Garrett was the first guitar player I played with when he, I think I guess I was fourteen. He was fifteen, and uh, we kept in touch the whole time, no matter what. And eventually, I mean, like uh, quite a bit. Like he was in uh, living in Hollywood when I was out here. In the 90s and crashed on his floor of his apartment for like four months or something before i went on tour with, with when I, before this pride and glory tour you know, with yeah zach now, wild band yeah now that's ringing a bell because that around that time too like so after high school and everything we uh years later we played in a in a band in a cover band and i don't know if i want to say the name of that band do you th- what do you think <laughs> Well, no, I mean, it was, we didn't even make the name up. The promoter dude did. He promoted it. Was aluminum did, Jew. Aluminum, aluminum Jew. Jew. No, I still have no clue what it meant. I, I didn't get the joke. If there was a joke, I had no clue, except that there was already the name going on. He called me, hey, do you want to you know, play every whatever Wednesday night for 50 bucks? Right. And st- somehow we all, he called us all and we all ended up doing it. But every Wednesday why night. We didn't just, yeah. Why didn't we just think of our own name? That was like the whole thing was like so odd that. We all knew each other. We come together to play. It was you, you, me, and Jeff, and the guitar player Chris, Chris, Chris right? Durante, yeah, yeah. And I think why didn't we just come up with our own name? I, I think that I don't know, but I, I remember that Chris was kind of playing on the whole name, and we would have like matzo thing on the on the on the uh, bar and giving out shots of Manischewitz. And there was one yeah, night, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I I didn't get it either. I didn't get it either. It even made it to Wikipedia. Like on my Wikipedia page, you got a cover band, Lunar Jew. And I was like, I, I don't know how to remove stuff off of it, but right. maybe I asked my buddy. I think my buddy set the page up. Right. I hope it's not there because there is like, I mean, we we did a good job. We played that band. We did, yeah, we, yeah. We we played. We were. I think that we were sort of on the the cutting edge of the that new because it was like ninety two, ninety three around then when we were doing that, and it was when like Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, uh, Soundgarden. Temple of Dog, and we were playing deep cuts. We weren't just doing like, and then we started playing Rage Against the Machine before anybody really knew who Rage Against the Machine was. We were doing because Giorgio, he was that the the promoter soundman guy, and he yeah, he started Giorgio, playing that. he came up with the name. Yeah, and and we started playing Killing in the Name and uh, maybe Freedom, and we were playing um from the Temple of Dog album. What were we doing? Um, uh, Your Savior. And uh, oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, pushing forward back, and we we're playing like hey, Al- all that. All that stuff's great. That stuff is killer. Then it's killer now. Yeah, and we still would play like uh, Let There Be Rock and some Van Halen. Right, we mixed it all up, you know. But yeah, it was 
It was, was fun, fun, but band. you fast forwarded quite a bit. Wait, let, wait, let me get that to high school. So oh, like, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm on the I'm on the I'm on the Precipity Hill side. You're on the Precipity High side. Right. And I don't know anybody over there except for the fact that Garrett. I don't know how he met Tim Kerrigan, the bass player. He goes, oh, I got I got this bass player Tim. He lives in Parsippany High side. I'm like, okay. And then because of Tim, we it, it that started. Uh, then I met John Breen, the guitar player, and then I started playing with John Breen. John Breen was like, oh, he's the he could play Eruption. No way, he can't play Eruption. No way, nobody could play Eruption. John Breen was playing Eruption, and he got a really really good sound. He was really good. And then he was tied into the Arcaro brothers. I mean, the, he tied the Arcaros, tied into the Kelseys. Everybody was tied in. And then yeah. the, and the Millses. He had brothers everywhere. The Arcaro brothers, the Mills brothers, the Kelsey brothers. Yeah. Bunch of bunch of delinquents. We were all juvenile delinquents. You know, we were like on the edge of like just 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 self-destructing. But yeah, uh, but it was uh so I was over there a lot. I remember hanging out over there more like because there's music. So I was like, I'm going over there and hang out. So I met everybody kind of like in that scene on in Parsippany High right. on that side. You know, I even I had a girlfriend on the Parsippany High side. That, that was like a high school girlfriend thing was was not even in my high school. So I was over there a lot, you know. But it was all fun. That was all cool. And uh yeah, so we had some uh Hey, you, you and you remember the drummer John Hummel? Oh yeah. Yeah, Did I you saw play he, with John? Um I t- I probably jammed with him. He was doing the gig with uh what was it called Eastern Potato with uh with um with Joe Hal and um, was that the name of the band? Um, I I knew John pretty well, but I don't think I ever actually played in a band with him. But I I know I jammed with him before. But John's he, killer. And yeah, John. John. I've crossed paths with him a few times since then. That was like we met once, and I was introduced to him as being. And and this is what I remember of John first. He was in some metal band, and then he had a trick on the drums that to this day, if you ask a drummer or anybody, how do you do this on the drum set? Nobody knows how, but John invented it. And it was basically this for anybody out there in the drums. So let's say you're doing a double bass beat, you know, like a dooga dooga jugga dooga 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 jugga dooga. You're doing that. Okay, great. But now you want to get a disco hi-hat together, like get the hi-hat. How do you get the hi-hat moving if you're doing double bass? John Hummel did it. How did John do it? Well, I watched him do it, and I was like, that's awesome. And he was, like, incorporating into his, like, his thrash band, like, grooves and stuff. So what he did was... He keep his feet going on the pedals and keep his uh, he have the two and four in the snare, but he would grab the pole of the hi hat stand with his left hand and manipulate the up and down the quarter note up and down with his left hand. Play the hi hat up you know with his left hand. He'd like move it while hitting it with his right. So he'd go like hit the ands of the beats the, uh, on the hi hat and then shut it with his left. Then reopen it and hit it again. Shut it and then hit the two and four in between with his right hand. So. It was awesome because it's like he totally used the hi-hat stand incorrectly and got this whole thing going. <laughs> so I was like, wow, man, he just invented this awesome thing. Then years later, he's playing with J.D. in a cover band. J.D. is the bass player in Black Label Society now. He's, we met at Berkeley when we were like 18. And and uh, J.D. and I have been like great friends. We've played a ton and done all kinds of stuff since then. But like J.D.'s been in Black Label a long time. Um, and uh JD started doing a cover band in the '90s with Hummel, and that's when I re—I saw him again after many years. But I was like, okay, I saw him do a gig in Jersey somewhere once, and you know, I was like, okay, cool. But then check this out—I don't know, it must have been 2012, I think. I'm—I'm I'm filling in for Foreigner, and we're in somewhere in like Connecticut, and there's an opening band. We get to the gig, and there's an opening band, and the drummer sounds killer. Like he's—he's he's like, I—I I hear him backstage. I'm like, that snare drum sounds awesome. That groove is badass. And I walk over the stage. I see this dude that looks like Mitch Mitchell meets like Ian Pace behind this like old school Ludwig Vista like kit. And he's just grooving his ass off. And everything he's playing is like Ian Pace meets meets Bonham meets Michael DeRozier and Carmine of Peace. It's like he sounds sounds awesome. I walk but I was only filling in for foreigner. So I walk back on the bus and I go, Ah, yeah, you know, they were looking for a drummer. They hadn't found a guy yet. And I go, There's your drummer right there in the opening band. That guy's killer. And they all kind of went and watched me, like, this guy's great. And the only reason John, you know, is, uh, it, well, the only, oh, let me finish the story. So he walks off stage. I'm like, it's John Hummel. Oh my God. I, I he's like, sounded so great. Like, and, and since then we kept in touch. And when I do these Bonzo Bass shows, I think he played on the East coast a couple of times. He comes out to the West coast. If he's here when we do it at Nam January, like we are right. He plays and he's one, he's one of the best guys there. He's just got such a great groove, such a great drummer. 
And uh, he didn't, the foreigner thing didn't work out be, simply because when they were looking for drummers, they, they wanted somebody, which I didn't really think about at the time, but it made sense. They wanted to go with somebody that had like complete, like, you know, tour experience, so like a total pro has been on the road in front of the audiences, you know, traveling the whole, like been there and done it before kind of vibe rather than uh, them worried because there ha it's happened before. You hire somebody like that hasn't done that. And then sometimes the, the gig can get the best of them. Like they're just like a little not saying this about John Hummel at all. I'm saying this about somebody you don't know that maybe doesn't have that experience under their belt. And then right. the, the, so th that's all it came to. They, they were like, we really want somebody that's like road road proven already and has that experience and done these kind of tours just because you don't want to get to the point where you rehearse, you, you're, you hire the drummer, you rehearse, you get on stage and all of a sudden the dude starts like kind of tripping out. He's, you know, whatever, just the, the gig might become overwhelming. So I'm sure it's happened before and, uh, you know, it's going to happen again. Uh, but, but that's one of the things foreigners is looking for that they wanted somebody kind of with a name that had been in, you know, bands on, big tours or right. whatever, stuff like that. So anyways, but John and I are still really good friends and he's a, he's a, he's an amazing drummer. So that's a lot of Jersey there. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then, uh, and then fast forward. Yeah. Like I said, we were playing that aluminum G thing, which I still like, why didn't we come up with our name? Yeah. Duh. And then after that, I, at that time, 92, 93. Yeah. All the grunge was happening. Uh, it's raging against the machine. It was you know, all that stuff. We we're playing all that. And then I remember leaving, periods of time in 93 to go out to LA. Cause I had, I was doing a sessions for Sass Jordan for Sass, and Stevie yeah. Salas yeah, I remember that. and they would fly me out from Jersey and I'd fly with my snare drum, like my leady snare. They always want to use that. And, uh, I'd stay at Stevie's place and record some different stuff. Like I'd be there for a week and I go home for like a month. They'd fly me out for a week. And I was just happy that they were flying me out there. I was getting to hang in LA. Garrett was out there. Like we talked about. And, uh, I had some friends out there and you know, you'd hang out with these guys and they'd always, have something going on. You're in some studio and your people are around like rock star people. So you're kind of like getting to meet people through, through the people you're working with. And, and that 90, that was in 93. And then I, so I did Sass's record called rats and some Stevie Salas, a couple records of his, and then went on the road with Sass in Canada for three weeks in the summer. And I got off the plane to go back to Jersey and, um, my sister picked me up and, and there's no cell phones. This is like 1993. And she's like, Oh, Zach Wilde's been calling the house. What? And I got home and I called him. He's like, yeah, man, you, he's like, you want to join my band? I got this new band on Geffen, man. It's uh, me and James Lomenzo. We need a drummer. Why don't you come out to LA and join? He was like, we had played before and stuff. We knew each other for a few years, but I, I was kind of like, well, yeah, but what if I come out there and you don't like it? You know, I think I'm in the band. So I said, why don't I come out for the weekend and play it? If you guys are all cool with me. I'd go home and get my stuff. I would have stayed, you know, but I was just like, I didn't want to like get all excited and then find out because, you know, sorry, it didn't work out, you know, go home. Right. So, uh, and that was it. I got I auditioned and or whatever. Zach basically said I was in, we talked on the phone I played with him and Lomenzo and, and, uh, went home, got my stuff, came back out. We started rehearsing and made the record in Seattle, which was, there you go. How about that? We're doing all those covers. And then Zach yeah. opts to use, uh, Rick Parashar as the producer for the pride and glory record. And Rick's studio is up in Seattle, and he had done Alice Chain stuff, Temple of the Dog, and I think he did some Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. He like everybody was there at London Bridge Studios. So I was like, "This is awesome! We're getting to go up to Seattle and make this record at this place that has like great history already." And we were lived up there for a few months and did the record, and that was a uh, was a lot of fun. That was a great record too. I was I was working in Sam Goody at the time, and I remember when that came out, and I used to play it in the store all the time. I really I liked it a lot. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. And so the, after that, I, so for the benefit of our audience, since we, we kind of focus on the cover band thing here, and obviously you're not playing in cover bands, but to me... Yes, I am. Well, sort yes, of. Yes, I do. Well, I play in many cover bands, yeah. man. <laughs> I just did a gig last Saturday with a, a Zeppelin Oh, yeah, we the, the, the female one, right? female. Hammer of the Broads. Hammer of the Broads, broad. right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, so that really kind of fits under the umbrella, and it's a large umbrella of, of cover bands. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you, and I always meant to ask you this, um, like what your approach is, and uh, you know, a lot of people listening will benefit from this too. I remember when you were doing, um, a few years ago, you were doing a, a tour with Jeff Tate, and it was before the Queensryche lawsuit thing was settled, and he was doing uh, Operation Mindcrime. And I remember you announcing it, and I remember you showing pictures of that you were charting 
you know, all, all the parts, the Scott Rockenfeld parts. And so I, was that something that you just kind of exclusively, exclusively did for that gig? Or is that your approach like all the time when you're playing with, you know, anybody? Um, uh, usually it's a, yeah, it's usually a part of, of preparation for many reasons. Uh, I don't know what everybody else does, but I have seen other drummers charts, which I'm, uh, very, um, uh, envious of because they had, they write them so nice and organized and logically and quickly. It's like efficiently. And I, I think I saw a Josh freeze chart of him writing something and I was like, Oh, that's so logical. It's so simple. Look at all the space around his notes. This is great. I'm like, I could read that chart, but I'm like, I write it like kind of like half idiot or something because it's a little sloppy, but I try to keep it together. And there's a fine line of how many notes do you want to put in? How many, how many things do you want to detail and how many don't you want to detail? And that also ties in with what kind of music you're playing and how serious are you, you know, covering an original version versus not covering it in that way. You know what I mean? Like, but it, it's a, to answer your, so yes, I, and here's another thing to, to round that all up. Uh, I started a, a file of every piece of paper that I make notes on starting with drum charts, lyrics, chord charts, um, anything, maybe not so much like a set list or something, but some of those, but it's mainly because I've watched 10 years later, somebody say, let's do the song. And I'm like, Oh man, I ch or these songs were, I charted those like 10 years ago, man. Right. If I had those charts, I wouldn't even have. So I made a thing. And I think the first one I started with it, it, it wasn't that long ago. It should have been 20 years ago, but like, uh, I've always done it. I mean, maybe not in high school, even though, you know, we're learning a ton of Maiden and Slayer and Priest and right. Metallica. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff to remember. But I think I was just practicing to that stuff all the time. So it was there. But um, but yeah, like uh, most most. Yeah, I do it. I do it a lot. So like um, the Queensryche stuff is uh, was maybe a little bit different than, let's say, the, the Whitesnake stuff because of the style of music and the style of drumming. And because, um, in the white snake thing, if you listen to an original version and then you listen to a live version from that tour, maybe with a different drummer, and then you listen to a version they played, you know, 20 years later with the current drummer, you you might have three different versions. And, and at that point, man, you, you, you every, every gig is, is you know, specific to itself, you know? So the, um, uh, it's, it's, it's like, you don't just want to go to the original and chart out the single, like, okay, right. let's take a foreigner song. Yeah. Um, you, you want to, uh, I, you know, these are great, huge, massive rock songs that the world knows. So like I, I out of respect to those songs and that, and to the listener, I want to play it pretty darn close to the original, even if the audience doesn't know every bass drum, you know, every kick drum beat or every fill, there are certain things that are going to pop out. Like there's a fill and feels like the first time there's two of them that need to be there. They just have to be there. So cold as ice pills, there's the hot blooded pills that to me have to be there. If you don't do those, it's wrong. It's just a blatant, like, Oh, please come on. Right. Why couldn't you just keep that fill in there? It's awesome. Like it feels like the first time they come back to this chorus out and you hear a black do 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 black do do black deck. do boom. Blah. It feels like the first, right. like dude, that fill rules. Like how would you, why would you do it? If Dennis Elliott himself wants to change that fill live. Okay. He created it. I guess that he can do whatever he wants. But to the listener, you're listening to a, you know, a song like that that's so popular and heard so many times by so many people. I, I want to keep that fill in there because that fill said so much when I heard it, and it's explosive and it fits the part. It, it, it's righteous and and it and it, it sets up the the next part. But to the listener that doesn't care about that stuff, they just go, oh yeah, that's right. Like in their head, they know that's there, even though they don't really think about it. You know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's, so it's, so, yeah. so like, but then you got Foreigner today now. Luckily, I've been in, in and out of that band quite a few times. So, like, I kind of know what I'm doing in there and stuff. But, like, um, so maybe other drummers that have been in there after me have watched, like, maybe some DVDs of how I did my spin on the originals because the band still you know, uses some intros and endings from that period of time as well. But, um, but like, uh, everything's a little different. But with, with the Queensryche stuff, I had listened to the original. We did the whole uh, Mind Crime records in its entirety plus a bunch of hits after that. So it was, like... And we were playing the Mind Crime record in like, you know, um, uh, respectfully, like time wise. We were playing it like in true succession and like with the right. with the splits between the songs, you know. So like the segues, everything was kind of in time. 
and uh, you had to know all that stuff. So I, knowing that um, there's a lot of Scott Rockenfield fans out there and he's a very popular drummer and knowing that those parts are etched in those songs, like, for, you know, real, you know, real solid. Uh, um, I wanted to respect those, but then I'd go watch Scott from that tour and they would be a little different. And then okay. I'd watch um, Scott these days. I'd watch a video and hear what he does. And then I'd watch Simon Wright, who I was filling in for in, in the, in Jeff Tate's thing. Um, I watched what Simon did. And then I just kind of make a note of all that, you know, that, so that's like toward one song, you're charting out a song and I would chart them out like the record. Cause we are playing the record, but then I go, how much flexibility do I have? Right. So, that, if, so it's like, you can't just say whatever I did for the Queens right thing is what I would do for white snake or, or foreigner or, or, or Ozzy or Billy Idol. You know, it's like, it's all relative to like a, how much, how important are those drum parts? B where's the band out now? Those are kind of like the, the, the beginning of the song and the, in the current version of the song. And, and, uh, a good thing is, which was really cool. It was a few years ago. Um, cause this is actually a really good question. Cause it's like, you know, think about it. This could be the difference of you getting a gig or not. Like it really could. How prepared are you? Right. So, so like, um, I did this, this one-off John Varvatos benefit show with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. You can't forget Joe Perry was on <laughs> guitar and Robert DeLeo's on bass. And Steven actually called my phone. It was, that's even a greater, funnier story because you don't ever expect Steven Tyler to call your cell phone at 10 in the morning, but he did. And, and I was the first guy to commit. He called a couple other drummers, but I was the first one to say yes. Or I guess I was the first one to pick up the phone. And he's like, got his assistant in the back. I right, she's in. You know, I had worked with him one time in a studio session. Like I recorded a tr track from him for right. him, which was also an, like, and I never played down uh, uh, any time with Steven Tyler or, or people like that because a, I idolized them. I grew up on them. And as a kid, just as a note about Steven Tyler, I'm a drummer and I loved Aerosmith and I learned how to play drums to Aerosmith records, but I loved his voice so much. Like when I first got into Aerosmith, which was live bootleg, I would listen to his voice and just trip out on it. I'm like that is the coolest voice. It's the coolest. There's uh, you, Mick Jagger, Robert Plant, you know, Paul Rogers, Ozzy, you said whatever. Put the best singers up there. For some reason, I absolutely loved like uh, Steven Tyler's voice, like more than let's say a Bon Scott, who I love. The other is great, but Tyler just it just tripped me out and blew me away. So when I get to work with a guy like that that I love so much and have so much respect for, it's just like that's that's heavy duty. It's like like every second counts kind of thing. It's right. like, man, I, I I'm here. This little point in my life got me here and there's Steven and he's watching me through a glass window control room track and drums. This is first single outside of Aerosmith. You know, it's like you can, that can, you can lose it right there. You could like, if, if you let that get the best of you, you know, you, you might not be able to. Yeah. That's intimidating for sure, man. I mean, somebody like icon, iconic as Steven Tyler that it's, he's right there listening but you to gotta, you. Yeah, but like you gotta crazy. also go, you have to go, Man, I got here, and you can't let this stuff get the best of you. And you got to be a grown man too. You got to be like, well, hey, man, I'm, it's not like I haven't been working on this my whole life. You right. know what I mean? You right. have to have like a little bit of like self-respect and self-confidence. Like, you know, you don't like. I just don't like like in those situations. I just try not to talk much because nobody really cares. Just shut up and, and play. Seriously, shut up and play your drums. Right. And then if they like, like, let's say you're really nice and you're talking and everything's great in your little conversation. And then you sit down and start playing the drums and it's not happening. Oh, everybody was so nice to each other, but we really don't care for his drumming. Right. It's, you know, now it's just a really awkward situation. I just rather sit in there and you tell me I'm here to make you happy. I'm here to make you smile. And you have a vision, you have a song here, you and the producer. And I, I just want to help you see it through. And, and if right. I can't do it, tell me and I, I'm out of here or tell me what I can try to do to make it better. But luckily, I got it in the second take, and that was only because he wanted me to tighten the snare up. You get a snare drum with more ring, which is really nice because I did the second take, top to bottom, same everything. And they said, come on in, and, and I was done. But back to Tyler with the charts. <laughs> so he calls. I say, I'm going to do this thing, and uh, uh, this gig. And I'm like, no way. I just got a call from Steven Tyler. <laughs> you know what I mean, dude? That's awesome. I don't even care. At that point, that's already cool enough. But I don't even get to just do a show. We're going to rehearse the day before. That to me is even better. I don't even care about the show. I get to rehearse in a private room with Joe Perry, Stephen Tyler, and Robert DeLeo, and Russ, their keyboard player, and like play through, what, 10 classic Aerosmith songs, including Seasons of Weather and, and um, 
uh, uh, come together and uh, 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 what is it? Moving out uh, the first song they wrote together. So I like, you know, and walk this way, sweet emotion, all that and dream on. Right. But so, so, you know, at the end of dream on, there's a gong and I didn't, didn't own a gong yet. So I borrowed my buddy's gong. And I made sure like at the end of dream on, we <laughs> nice. hit that, which the, there is a video of this. So he like kind of turns like it sort of starts to like not bow to me, like bow to me, but like gestures to me. Like that was pretty badass. She put the gong in there at the end. But, uh, so that made me happy. But here's the deal. So I'm sitting there going, I know these songs, but I still have to be prepared. So what did I do? I go back to, okay, what was that? Mama Kin. So if you listen to the original record, there's a whole intro before it starts. But if you listen to the live version, they always just go, they bypass all the stuff and start the live version. So I'm making notes and I watch their new versions with Joey. I'm like, what have they been doing? Like recently, what I just watched some bootlegs on tour. And there was some like live on Commonwealth Avenue show, and I was watching that. And I noticed at the end of uh, Mama Kin, I think it was, they did a drum fill right into um into uh dun dun. What is it? Dun 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 Why can't I uh, walk in the dog? Oh yeah, yeah. Phil went right into walking the dog. So I remembered that. I was like, okay, they did a little segue, but I wasn't making note of that. I just kind of stuck. It was in the back of my head. Um, we get to the rehearsal and um, I remember Robert DeLeo and I sit down and he started playing uh, um, Mama Ken, but he started playing from the studio version. I go, uh, Robert, I think I think they might just do the live version bypassing that intro stuff, you know, because I was checking out some stuff. He's like, oh, all right, cool, cool. Yeah. So we're, so we're just hanging out. And then he he was great. He picked up on it, too. I think he just naturally picked up on it. But we finished the Mama Ken and, you know, we played it with Joe and Steven. And then Steven says, like, um, he's like, yeah, then we do this. And he just, I don't know how he did it, but he started singing or he motioned or Joe started following with him. And he basically maybe even said the title and I did the fill. And then Robert kind of picked up quickly, got in there. But if I had not watched some new versions of what they were doing live, I would not have caught that little thing of him just wanting that segue between Mama Kin and walking the dog, right? So then, because we did those, we didn't even talk about it, dude. We finished walking the dog. He goes, all right, we'll do that tomorrow. So that was it. We there was no talk. It was like we, we it wasn't on the set list. Mama Kim was on the set list. No walking the dog, but we happened to go into it, and it went all right, it went okay. So we kept it in the song, you know, kept it in the set. Right. So th- that's just like good preparation. That's just like those extra little things. Yeah. For example, I know Ray Lazier. You know, when he went and auditioned for Corn, he didn't learn the four songs. He learned their whole live show. So right. like whatever tour they're on, he learned the whole thing. So he goes, yeah, they, 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 he goes, yeah, I learned your whole tour. You know, okay. So like, like this dude's prepared. He kicked ass on the audition songs. Let's keep playing. Well, by the end of that, they're basically like, you got the gig, you know? Right. So it, it pays to go a little further and it pays to study a little deeper. And also it doesn't hurt if you respect the people or enjoy the music. You know sure. what I mean? Like that's sure. another thing. So like I want, like I love Aerosmith, so I want to dig in a little bit. I might think I know Walk This Way, and I might know that they play really fast on live bootleg in the '70s when they're all coked out. But at the same time, it's slower now, and it's close to the record tempo. So it's been discussed and agreed that okay. we're going back to like a record tempo. Right. And I started it like a little faster rehearsal, and he kind of like turned around, hey, chill out, like lay back a little bit. So I lay back. I'm like, that's probably exactly the record tempo. Right. Which brings me to another awesome story. Want to hear an awesome story about Nancy Wilson? Sure. So Nancy like, Wilson, of course. Two weeks ago. <laughs> okay, two weeks ago. Yeah, I got the good had the, the good fortune to do a, a rock and roll fantasy camp corporate show, and uh, it was the the house band was me and Rudy Sarzo and Monty Pittman on guitar. Monty plays at Madonna, and um, Teddy Zigzag. Teddy used to be in uh, keyboards and piano with with a uh, GNR, and we we're like the house band for the the fantasy camp corporate show for some some place in Phoenix, some corporate thing. And the guest stars were Lou Graham, a foreigner. And this is why this is all like two, three weeks ago while I was out filling in for foreigners. The, the drummer was sick. Right. So I'm doing foreigner shows. and I leave the foreigner shows a day off to go do this fancy camp with Lou Graham. And the other uh, get, special guest was Nancy Wilson. I'm like, no way. I get to play with Nancy freaking Wilson. Oh, like that's I, I, I love it. I, you know, I love heart. I love Nancy. The whole thing. There's so much history there. So I'm like, so we get her set list and her set list is all like songs we know, heart songs. But she's like reimagine them so like different a little bit different grooves different arrangement a little bit different feel so i'm like you got to really listen to this we're just doing a one-off <clears throat> but anyways the first song we do- we start with is even it up and instead of starting out like a rock sh- rock song she starts out with an acoustic and she's just kind of chugging along and 
um, Teddy Zigzag starts playing harmonica with her, and then I'm supposed to just come in with a kick drum, just stomping like a full quarter note, boom, right. boom, boom. Well, I had done some put the tempos down because it's like another little good thing. Even though I don't like doing all this, like I'm not the biggest fan. I'd like to get the feel right, but it does not hurt to have that BPM right there. So nobody can argue that you went and chart, you know, BPM got the uh, the the. the the tempo for the for the version, you know, the uh, recent version or the correct, you know, the album version or whatever, it always helps. So let's say it was 120, and or it was actually, oh man, I think it was 128, but it might have been 118. But let's call it 128 because 120 is where you set your beep, your your metronomes come up at 120. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah you know, when you turn the metronome them on. starts at 120. Yeah. So like it comes up at 120. That means people think I'm just saying the most generic BPM number, throwing it out there, but I'm actually not. I'm, I, mean, I still remember that it wasn't 120. It was probably 128 because I think even it up is a little faster than 120. Right. So I have the click going on my phone, right? And she starts this thing off without me. And then Teddy starts doing his little licks on top. And then I'm supposed to just throw in a quarter note. like just like I think I'm, and, and I look over at my BPMs and I swear she didn't know. She wasn't paying attention to it. I wasn't talking about the BPMs with her. She is nailing, absolutely nailing, like 128, whatever it was supposed to be. She's nailing it. like, And I'm like, how awesome. It's just at any given point in time, Nancy Wilson picks up, picks up a guitar and does even it up. She's nailing the original tempo. Like she feels that groove so heavy, there's no doubt in her mind where it's supposed to be, no matter where she is on this planet. You know what I mean? No matter what time of day. I just thought that was awesome. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's you, great. You had a groove, you had a feel, and... It doesn't matter how many decades later what you've been through in life, where you are, tired, what, how old you are, how much coffee you drank. You, it, like, she nailed it. Yeah. I'm like, that's just total pro experience, like no messing around. Right. She's so good. So anyways, that was a real fun story about, you know, so it was just nice to see that because that just showed to me yet another thing that is badass with musicians, <laughs> it's yeah, like, with, especially cool. with the legends. It's like, man, you know. She put, she had, you know, they put time. Like, this isn't just like, oh, we happen to be like, put a band together. No, there is a lot of time and thought and energy to, behind crafting those songs and those grooves and arrangements. Like, yeah, it's amazing stuff. So, yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I pretty much always do. <laughs> it's just on, on very varying levels. But right. for me to write it down, it, it helps me remember it. Because um, right. I'm committing to focusing on writing the answer down. You're right. writing, like, think about it like that. I'm writing an answer down. Like, right. There's my answer. I'm writing your down. So you're key, not yeah. only taking nights, taking notes. You can refer to your notes. You can even use them as cheat sheets on stage, which I have done because you're 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 crazy if you think I'm going to go up and do a Don Felder show without my notes and everything's to a click track and everything's like totally locked in. Like his show is like 17 songs nailed. Like everything flows and it's you 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 know and you don't want to be the guy up there. I've done it with a guess who I've done it with, 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 with Tyler, even though I know the songs like, or, or even, you know, not, not white snake on tour so much. Cause we had weeks to rehearse, but like, you know, when you go into rehearsal, I ain't going to remember 20 songs, every arrangement, you know right. what I mean? I'm like, it's just, I don't know, maybe some other people can, yeah. but I, and I don't like reading notes on stage. I can't stand it. Like, it's so nice when you don't have to use them anymore but yeah. you know but at the same time man I, I you know i i don't only have time in my life for one like for one thing and i say that meaning i guess if i was like a a single dude with no kids and in my 20s and i was just like paying my bills on my own like maybe i'd have more time to focus in a different kind of way right. but like there's also this other thing in your life called the rest of your life which right. is like outside of music which has to be addressed pretty much every day sure which screws you up from like your focus on your music, which screws you up. It, 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 it can enhance it too. If you have a family, you, I have kids and wife. It's like, okay, yeah. that's family. Like, like everybody has, you know, that stuff. You just gotta, you know, you gotta balance all your stuff out. And what suffers the most is my, my lack of preparation to my, to myself. Like what I know I can do, um, versus what I do. It's like, I'm, you know, I want, I'm giving a hundred percent, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent because I know how much better it could be. Like meaning, Imagine if I really did what I think I can do behind the drums or musically in whatever way. You know, I think I could do a lot more, um, a lot more damage as far as me as an entity on this planet, which is a whole other subject. But I'm just <laughs> saying it ties into learning to like working for other people because the right. main thing is to make them happy. And if I'm going to make you happier by having my notes dialed in, I can look down real quick. I mean, I did the yeah. same thing for Velvet Revolver in 2005. I, like, I, I don't know why I'm thinking of that right now. Somehow something happened recently where I thought of something nice that Duff said, Duff McKagan said about me 
and it was because we had did like three weeks of our revolver shows because Matt Storm had broken the finger. Um, I want to make a joke and say <laughs> he, he only chipped a nail on his pinky. <laughs> but it was worse than that. I think it was like a skiing accident or something like that. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I got the, the the opportunity, the awesome opportunity to, to play some shows with those guys back in 2005, yeah. right in the middle of a Billy Idol break. But yeah, man, I, I was literally coming off the show off the Billy Idol stage, jumping in my bunk on, my, on the tour bus with the Velvet Revolver CD and and my my charts, my book, my like yellow notepad, whatever paper, and writing out their whole record and whatever covers they did. And I did that for three nights and uh, got off the plane, literally landed and got a cab to the rehearsal place where there was a drum set waiting and started rehearsing with them, like for uh-huh. I think two days or something. And then, and singing backgrounds in a Britney Spears mic, you know, not her mic, you know, I don't know her, but like one of those Sammy Hagar <laughs> mics or whatever you call, you know, the, 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 the you know, those things. The, um, so I'm singing backgrounds too, because Matt sang background, backgrounds. And Matt's a good singer, man. So like I, I had, but I was like, I'm going to do everything they want to do because this is, take advantage of these opportunities, you know, you prove yourself as much as you can. But yeah. I had to chart all that stuff out, man. That was a lot of pressure because it's like the record was out. They toured for a year, but I only knew the singles. Like I, I you know, I heard a few songs, but um, didn't know all of it. And I had to chart it out and, and go play with them, man. And these guys are like on the road all year. So they're nailing the shit, you know? And, right. and, uh, but it was, but that stuff, that's like all that stuff, you add it all up and whatever I just said. And you're like, you have no excuses. Like if you've done all that shit, then you have no excuses. Right. That, and that's why I'm harder on myself than anybody ever will be. I, like tr- trust me and not like for every level and, and and i take a cover gig as seriously as i take i was nervous playing with the hammer of the broad somebody oh you're playing at paladino's in the Va- valley in a zeppelin all-girl cover thing i'm like yeah but like i, I knew it. i wanted to bring my ludwigs i wanted to bring the gong and the the, the the timpani which i did stuck it all up there and i wanted to kick ass and i wanted to play as best i could because i know they know their shit like they gig all the time they've been doing it for like seven years and or longer, and and I know they have. They also have their ins and outs. They have their intros and outros, and their little things they do. So I had to remember that stuff. But I was like a little bit nervous. Like I have to throw down with these guys, like these girls, <laughs> you know. And 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 I was a little bit nervous. It, you know, oh, it's just a cover gig with these girls you're friends with in, in Hollywood. But yeah, but no, man. I I wanted to make every little thing that I played is you know like pop out and be, be as great as I I could be that night or whatever. And, right. And all that. So, um, I never, I never, uh, um, play. I, I, I you know what I mean? I, I don't look at anything less than anything else. It's like, it's, oh, this isn't paying as much, or this, uh, is a, this is a, I'm playing with an icon. Oh, I'm playing with some friends and, you know, in the valley. Like, it doesn't matter, man. There's right. people watching, and they're, and, and, and the better you are, and the more somebody goes, I enjoyed watching you. I enjoyed listening to you. And I'll, now I'm going to remember your name, whatever. Right. That's, that's like, man, you know, some people have meteoric rises with stuff like that. You know, just bam, like a Steve Ray Vaughan, bam. Like everybody's like, you know, Clapton is God. It goes, you know, Hendrix, people just see him. And it's like, that's the dude. That's, he's, he's the guy. He's going right. to be the guy. Eddie Van Halen, you know, like, but you hope at least you might not move like a, a, a meteor, but you might, you know, might, as long as it's just like a nice little incremental up upward swing you know what i mean right. <laughs> we're we're all at, up, at an upward uphill battle you know in in uh in life and and uh you know and try to be successful and everything but you know as long as while you're doing that uphill battle you can incrementally see that your efforts are are moving you upward as you know in this battle you know sure. and i'm not saying life is a battle i'm just saying it's not easy you don't just sit around like for the the average person like like us we don't sit around and just things get thrown our way and it just goes our way because we just happen you know Whatever. I'm yeah. sure some people have that going, but you, you know, gotta you got to work, work for it, man. Yeah, you, you got to do the work. Like it all pays off. Yeah, you know, you made so many good points there, man. And the, the, there's topics that come up in the in the group all the time that are, are related to what you say. You know about uh, uh, how close do you want to be to the authentic version or or the recorded version of the song? And I give the same advice that you do. Um, is you know, you listen to the recorded version, you go watch the, you know, pick up the YouTube videos and and watch what the, they did before and and the evolution of the song and what the drummer's doing now or or whoever's in the band. So th- uh, that's a thing because uh, people argue about it. Like, no, I want to make it my own, man. But I, to me, I, I agree with you. I think you respect the artist. You respect the song, especially signature, signature parts that people expect to hear. Um, and then well, ch- check this out. Check this out, Steve. I, all right, I know the story. There's a drummer from a really, really popular band that auditioned for a, the, for the gig for drummer 
for drums for another really, really, really popular band, right? Uh-huh. And he told another friend, I'm not going to say any names. It's just a true story. He tells the guy in his band, his popular band, he goes, yeah, man, I'm going to audition for this band today. And the, 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 the bass the guy in the band's like, oh, cool, man. Wow. You know, whatever. So he comes back. He goes, yeah, man. Audition went great, man. Yeah, had a had a great time. Um, man, I was like doing my own fills and flipping the beats around and blah blah blah. And and then the guy I heard back to me, it came back to me. This dude auditioned and was just like just just trashing the song. He was just putting just like putting his own stuff in, changing the beats and like they're like it was like had nothing to do with what we wanted these songs to be like. So that's. Uh, that's uh, one story, you know. You don't, you, you, you know. That's probably not going to go your way. Yeah, and you know? Yeah, that. So that happens on every level, whether you're playing in, you know, in the garage or, or a hole in the wall bar, or you know, like you said, a very popular band. Um, those those fundamentals, you want to practice them no matter where you are in your career. Um, you know, it, it's essential being prepared, honoring the song, respecting the artist. You know, all those things are, are just that's gold, man. And and I'm glad you you brought all this, those things up because people uh people really need to hear that and learn it because some people are a l- little bit uh arrogant with their their ways. You know, like no, I'm gonna do it my way. Well, you're not gonna get work. Yeah, but, you know, but but like see now now that, that's the thing. Go go listen to old Van Halen bootlegs of them playing parties. Right. I, I see. That's the that's the fine line there. Eddie's not just. I mean, okay, Eddie could play anything, any guitar, any cover on guitar. But like, he played it his way. Like, right. you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Right. Right. So like, so, so it's yeah. so it's like you know, Van Halen doing a Zeppelin cover. He's playing it like Eddie. It still sounds like Eddie. So it's a weird thing. It's like, that's the fine line. It's like, you know, if you if you I don't know, man. It's like if you have a style and your band's doing it. It's, I just think Van Halen. I guess it, maybe the answer is Van Halen was always on the verge of becoming their own thing. Like they were covering because they're playing parties, playing covers, but they were Van Halenizing everything because they were badasses. And when you're that badass, people take notice of how badass you are. Like, you know, if you listen to Eddie Van Halen playing a, the Rover from Zeppelin, but he's playing it like Eddie Van Halen, nobody at the party is going to go, oh, I don't really dig it because he's such a badass. Right, but right, sure. there's a way to do it. There, there's just, there's a way to do it. So it's your call. You think, if you think you're doing it in a, in a, in a way that is cool and you're going to make people dig it, Dig or dig your approach, then go for it. I mean, go for it. But if you're playing a game of a, of a cover band game, like where you want to be hired and be put to, you want to earn money and work a lot to fit into many different situations, you might not want to be that. That you might not want to do that because not everybody's going to say that's working. Right. You know, if you want to do Ingve Malmsteen sweeps over like, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 what's that guy? Money for nothing guy, the Sultan's the swing guy. What's that Mark Knopfler, Dire, dire Straits. Straits. If yeah. you if you want to do Ingve sweeps over Dire for Straits, Money for Nothing, maybe that's cool in somewhere in like the <laughs> right. middle of the '80s in LA, but it might not really keep you hired for those situations, you know. Right. But if you're Eddie Van Halen, yeah, and you're nailing the riffs and you got a killer tone, and you got your own little badass licks you're throwing in. People might be like, because Eddie Van Halen probably made that sound. I haven't heard it in a long time, but he probably did more of like a, a Billy Gibbons, Billy Gibbons, like fiery yeah. approach to the riffs. He probably just like hot rotted them up a bit right. and still stayed true to the big riffs and, and put, put his own little things in like right. he does. But he's a lord of, of uh, you know, of guitar. And, and yeah. so pretty much whatever he does just always works. Right. So you, you, um, do, you do what's best for the situation and for the band and for the song, you, you know, you. If you you've been doing this long enough and you are prepared and you've been, you know, you've done your research, then you're going to know in, in the moment what is the best thing that I should do here. And a lot of people will try you know try to be Ingve in a song where it's not appropriate and just to show off. Like look at all these cool but, but things I could do, and that doesn't I, work. I, I, yeah, and, and Steve, I've said like before, like I don't want to hear Phil Rudd in Rush, and I don't want to hear Neil Peart in in, in ACDC. ACDC. Right? You know what I'm sure. saying? Like, right. so like I, I'm saying, you might not even like be overplaying you might be like one of those underplaying guys <laughs> like you're right. the simple rock drummer that really can't play things like that are like next level or whatever right and you're like taking the you're like what happened to all those cool things that, that were in that song oh this guy doesn't do him oh he's like the meat and potatoes guy you know we like him for his meat and potatoes well then why are you bothering doing tom sawyer right don't do tom sawyer with that guy uh, it's, it's like it's a you know it's like boring it's tom bore bore border borer he's tom borer he's right bore me but uh <laughs> but um like it, it honestly though dude 
because you, if we're talking like strictly like to how to succeed in a cover band, that's like one specific thing. It, yes, play it, play it like people want to hear it. You can play Leonard Skinner. Give me the fucking dan 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 like give me like right. I want to hear that right. Right. But if you're like half original, half covers, like like Van Halen kind of thing, well, you might hot rod your versions or do them in a style that is fitting to the, where your band is going, you know, what you're trying to make your band become. And, and like, okay, Jimi Hendrix covering Wild Thing, Jimi Hendrix covering Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Like, that's Hendrix, man. That's nothing like the Beatles. Right. That, you know what I mean? He did his own versions. Right. Which is awesome. Those are like really ass kicking versions, you know? Yeah. So, so like, but at the same time, he was already Jimi Hendrix, right? The whole place was there waiting to see Jimmy, you know, do his thing. So he's he's already like got you all beat. He's winning, right. you know, he's, he's you know, but but uh, in you know, you're if if you're if you're trying to prove yourself and get in a door, and you're gonna kind of not at least play the game the a little bit the way the band wants it, then it might be a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, you might be setting yourself up for greatness, like. You might be that guy, like that does it his way, and that's the only way you do it. You know what I mean? Right. Like to keep going back to Eddie Van Halen or Jimi Hendrix, you know. But they're, they're like, that's I don't want to hear them do it any other way than Hendrix and Van Halen do it. Right. I don't want to hear Jimmy only play like Eric. I mean, uh, Eddie play like Eric Clapton only. You know, like yeah. I'm sure, I'm, you know, you know. So, so it's it's all it's it's totally relative. And it, it might not say like a playing a foreigner or something like that it might not be like a cover gig, but at the same time, I have nothing to do with those those records. I was a kid, learned how to play play drums to those records. So, kind of in a way, I'm in. I am covering in a cover band, yeah. Music. I mean, when you know, I, like, okay. I yeah, I went to see you a couple of weeks ago with Foreigner, and not one person on that stage is an original member. So to me, it was like, okay, this is a Foreigner tribute band calling themselves foreigner <laughs> oh you did not yeah mick jones was not there that night right, right. no mick wasn't right. yeah and you know what then that, that's a whole other thing it's a whole other debate but i go whoever created the band and they want to have it continue however they want that's their call if mick jones says i'm going to come out for like half the tour and go home the other half but i but you are you're my guy's foreigner if that's his choice as far as i know he's the first person to do it he's the first person to have an entire band on stage comprised of nobody from the original records right. like he's the first like nobody else has done that guess who i know did like they got one person blah 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 but, stuff like that but but it works because but, everybody on stage is really good at what they do and you guys were all honoring the songs kelly sounds really close to lou graham and and you know he's got some really good pipes so and iconic songs people like you said they know these signature lyrics and the signature parts and nobody out there really cares they wanted to hear the songs, you know, and he, see well, them yeah, yeah. Live, and it's you know? it's sanctioned by by Mick Jones. You know what I mean? Oh, like of course, he's, of course, yeah. It's it's all so it's all under the Mick Jones foreigner umbrella. So that's why kind of it works. And I'm like, we're not getting our money's worth. We don't. The original guys are up there. Okay, it's like as much as I love Kiss, as much as they're my first band I loved. Like, but if let's just say if Ace and Peter are not playing up to what they should for whatever reason, who cares? Whereas Eric and Tommy are are like machines, okay? They're machines. Just guaranteed, you're never going to see Eric Singer or Tommy Thayer have a bad show. You're just not. Right. That's why they're in Kiss. Because guaranteed, they're on time. They're sober. They're prepared. They're dude. It's, right. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's why they have that gig. That's why they're there. And that's why people are having a good time at Kiss shows because Gene and Paul started the thing. As I grew up on Peter and I love Ace like as much as anybody, but like if they're going to be up there and for whatever reason, it could be a you know it could be like tendonitis, it could be you know you know just sobriety and now you're hooked on pills. I'm just saying it could be a million things, whatever. But but like if you're not really there, I, I still there is still something to be said for watching you know the original band in whatever state they're in. It's like cool to say that. Like I saw them '96 when they came out into you know, the weenie roast thing the first show as the original band guys i was i loved it i was like oh my god it's amazing but that was 96 it was like you know 20 years ago so right. um i'm just saying it's it's uh it's 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 not it's it's man if the fans are having a good time whatever yeah you know, that's like all that the, matters you know that that's you know forget i'm not even i don't even want to talk about kissing the makeup and always oh, wearing the Catman makeup and he's wearing the spaceman makeup i, right. I, I don't even think that's a whole other subject i'm just saying it's these just, guys are, like Eric and Tommy have nothing to do with this, the kiss that that 
is why there's still a kiss, which is like 74 to right. you know, really 80 to I was made for loving you for the most part. You right. know what I mean? Like that's the kiss that made kiss kiss everything in the eighties and all that MTV stuff, whatever. But right. I'm saying that, that, that period is what made them. And that's why they have the, everybody's dressed up in the, that makeup and you know, yeah. keep them with those costume themes and stuff like that. But but man, those guys have jobs. So like, okay, is Eric in a cover band? No, he's not in a cover band, but he's playing covers because right. he wasn't a part of those songs. Just like I wasn't a part of the foreigner songs. So you're still doing this. It's the same. But in those bands, you know, like what if uh, like Billy Idol said, oh, I want to change the vibe of the song. Like it's a song I used to have on MTV with drum machines, but I want to make it more funky and I'll have a more slinky feel to it. Like which we did with, with Eyes Without a Face. Like that was like, like that kind of thing. And then, uh, we had it more just more funky and right. and uh, when we played it as a live band, we still played the parts the same and stuff, but we just made it a little bit more you know human and funky. Right on. You know, so uh, but man, it's all it's all just like you know, it's all entertainment, yeah, I mean, man. It's all entertainment. As long as you're entertaining the crowd, they're enjoying it, then you're doing your job. As far as I'm yeah, concerned, yeah, I, I guess there's. Yeah. I, I I I agree with that to an extent, but then I agree with like there's nothing like going seeing John Bonham okay. and having those drums tuned and hit with his groove because I know that's a form of entertainment. But there's so many people that don't like. I mean, I, you know, he is the best and, the, and all that stuff. But I'm saying there's a lot of people that like you aren't aware of those things that are still huge fans of Led Zeppelin. They don't get it as much as maybe somebody who's a drummer is paying attention to it, and that's why you can still have bands huge bands and stadiums and and uh might not you might not have like the best drummer in the world in that band he's doing his job and he's entertaining and that's cool but right. but uh man i i i'm still always be like i like that that fine that awesome line of of musicianship and entertainment that's that and, and you know groove musicianship and entertainment because man you could i could be entertained by the almond standing there Play, you know, playing whipping post for half an hour, like, and I don't care what they just got to stand there and create that sound. Right. As long as I hear Greg Allman's voice and Dickie Betts licks, you know, I mean, like, gee, that's like gives you chills just to think of the sound they created. And they, there's no, so that is entertainment, and they're not doing anything. They're just standing there. There's no show. Right, right. But that's but whereas Skinnerd is more of a party. You know what I mean? I mean, they're not like jumping around like Kiss, with, but but it's just the vibe on stage is a little more in, like a, a party, but it's intense, but it's more of a party atmosphere, like how it's right. always been with them. But um, man, so it's all. Yeah, there's know, so much we could say about the it. Songs. You know? yeah, yeah, it's like the songs. It's the songs. It's, yeah. Because totally. like, you know, they said like the almonds could stand there with, with you know, Melissa or Whipping Post or whatever rambling man and and like you're just blown away play those th three songs in a row and that's like top of the top but then play me three kiss songs that aren't like the the, the top like selling or most popular songs of theirs but play three play three kiss songs performed well at a kiss show and i'm still gonna get my ass kicked and be like this is amazing because right. they're giving you a, a show too like it's a but that's the beauty of it man that's like the i've watched i remember going to see in rage against the machine at the forum and like um Tom Morello had a half stack. Like he literally had a half stack on stage and next to the drummer with the four piece and the singer, Zach was amazing. And the bass player had like whatever his rig, maybe two ampegs or something. But it was really like a rehearsal. Like it was like, and they were at the forum dude and mic'd up and the way they play together and how badass they sounded. They just, they, 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 they laid that place to waste. It was so good. It was, it was so badass. And it was because of the intensity of their music and how well they play together and how they deliver it live. It was just right. all, it all just worked perfectly, you know? Awesome. So, so right. yeah, man, it's like, it's like, uh, it's, it's crazy. Cause there, there's yeah. no, that, that's what was, isn't it crazy? There's no real true solid answer. Cause you'll talk to somebody else goes, right. I don't do charts. I sit around, sit around, listen to the music and I stick it in my head. Buddy Rich didn't read charts. Right. You know what I mean? He just like remembered it. He's a freak, you know? And there's, there's other people like that. But for me, Working class Joe, I'm just like I, I want to get my charts prepared, and and it helps me, and and uh, it's a little tedious. I don't love doing it, but I don't mind doing it. And then I put them all in a notebook in the back room, and I seriously, man, I I I, I had to go find something recently, and I looked at all the stuff I had, and I was like, oh, I'm so happy I have all these charts. Like my newest right. ones are the Nancy Wilson six songs we did. Like just stick them in the back. You never know when you're gonna need them again. Don Felder charts. You kidding me? I didn't play with him for a year, and then he calls me. Can you play some shows next month or whatever it is? You know, and I just bust out my charts, man. That's that's like, and also look at it like this: those charts. That's time and money. You put your time in to earn your money, 
and they're forever yours and they're there to give you your answers again if you ever need them you know so don't throw your money away and don't throw your time right. away you know that's a good way to look at it that's cool man all right listen i i actually have to be on stage in less than an hour but i want to i want to talk about um uh, Mary, Mary Tishmish, Tishmish, <laughs> Tishmish, Mary yeah, yeah. Tishmish. Uh, okay, that's good. That's the you know all this other stuff. Mary Tishmish. I'll, I'll I'll get on with you anytime, Steve. And talk about the stuff because it's awesome. all the, you know, it doesn't yes. matter who's doing what. If you're playing music and there's a way to you, you get yourself out there and, and you know, um and and it's like uh it doesn't matter what you're doing. If we're all in the same boat playing music, it's like you're entertaining people. You're on stage. You got to play as best you can and right. we all have to learn parts and songs and we want to lock into a band and make it feel good and make people happy right we're all doing that it doesn't matter if you're doing it in, in, a, in a in a little club or, or in a stadium it's, you right. know it's just like you still got to get your point across right and every time you do it you're getting better you're getting experience and hopefully it brings you to the next little step because i i fear st- being stagnant and i uh, i fear like being complacent and and i and i think it's awesome to always just try and throw something out there and go, I wonder if I can go get that. You know, I wonder if I can go get that. And, 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 you know, for, so the goal to me is always like kiss Madison square garden, you know, when I was 11 years old, like, man, someday you get to that point where you can sell out the garden with your own music. Like if I never get there, whatever. Right. That's what you try for, man. And every step of the way you come across your idols you work with, or you come across people, your peers that you love and respect and they say something nice or you, you feel good about your playing because you practice a little bit, you pay more attention, whatever it is. It's all, we're all doing the same shit. Yes. But anyways, Merry Christmas. Yes, Christmas CD of of Christmas holiday favorites covered by you, and you played every instrument, right? Yes, yes. Derek Sherinian, my buddy, the keyboard player Derek, uh, he's in Sons of Apollo now. He's in uh, Black Country Communion. We were in Billy Idol together. He's played with Ingve and Dream Theater and, you know, tons of people. Um, He played one song, just helped me out, stopped over and just said, show me what you got, let me pick something. So he's on one song. He's the only guest star. Everything else is me. On all the instruments and uh, you know whatever percussion, engineering, awesome. producing, blah blah blah. Like done at my house, my studio house here, my Pro Tools. I got a, drums in the living room and mics everywhere, and just go for awesome. it. So I, I love recording, and I was my own little boss, my own little boss. Nice. So it's called. I, I don't think it was the name that started the record idea. It was actually last year on tour in Europe, and I'm like, can't wait to get home. It's Christmas time, and you're in Germany and England, and you're like, man, it's Christmas right. everywhere, and you know, can't wait to get home. And somewhere in there, I just thought, what if like I could make a really spacious record and have some really nice – and I didn't achieve that, this, this statement, like having Jeff Beck and John Bonham jam on Christmas melodies. But that was kind of the first idea. Like wouldn't that be fun to have that big open room with Jeff Beck playing Christmas melodies? and bottom drums well the more i got into it the more i needed acoustic guitars and 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 the, the, this little uh little jingle jangles and the in the sleigh bells the more it thickens the sound and you play for the song you know you're whatever version you want so i didn't exactly make that type of record but i did make all the guitars like uh, just a little little tip of the hat to all my my favorites with everybody from Chuck Berry and brian setzer and and chet atkins and les paul all the way up to like blackmore and brian may and and slash and and uh uh, um, like Shanker, like uh, all those kind of tones. Like I tried to get all those kind of things on, and, and, uh, and just nice, nice organic drum sounds, you know, and know. no click tracks, just play your own feel and play bass and make it sound good. And it's a lot of fun to do it. So that's great. Man. <clears throat> it's called Mary Tishmas. Mary Tishmas. And you can get it at, at yeah, you can get it at, <laughs> uh, uh, Brian Tishy dot com at my website and go there and order it and there's even a t-shirt if you're just crazy enough to actually wear a t-shirt which i don't even know if i'm gonna wear but um <laughs> uh, uh some people like thought it was kind of funny and silly and, and you know christmasy but yeah. it's all there it's 11 songs no no singing so you can sing along and uh, i i it came out cool and you could go on youtube right now if you want type my name in and and we just threw up the little lyric uh, the, yeah the two lyric, lyric videos. videos yeah that's great the, like yeah, it. the Grinch and Santa Claus is coming to town. They're just simple little little videos, but uh, with the lyrics going on top. And and uh, there, there you go. Yeah, we're just and yes. I uh, publicist. Uh, she just started promoting it. Uh, I think this morning. So we're hopefully get it out there and get people to hear it. That's awesome. Um, just yeah. in time for holidays. Merry Tishmas. Um, you can yeah, get it, you can get it now. But uh, it's festive, dude. It's at Christmas time. That's all. Yes. Come on, man. It's like, all, <laughs> like you just think back to your kid and the excitement of Christmas and like all the lights everywhere, the cool Christmas shows. You know what I mean? It's like I just want that little bit of the year to get a, have that with my kids and just like take a breather 
So yes. even though I'm, you know, I got the, like, this is, I know you got to go, Steve. So Bonzo <laughs> Bash is coming up at NAM, and Randy Rhodes is coming, Randy Rhodes, remember, coming up at NAM, January 25th and 26th yes. at, at the Yoast in, in, you know, Santa Ana, right by the NAM show. So I'm preparing all the way from now to then. I got some more sessions I got to do and stuff, but Christmas time, man, I just want to be able to take that breather and chill out, you know, like, and, and view their family and, uh, and, uh, have some fun. You know? Yeah, man. Uh, so very cool. Thank you, dude, for doing this. Um, it's so much valuable stuff there. And uh, yeah, All right. you can come back anytime. Um, we're, I'm going right, uh, to going out on Have the show here. Gig. I'm going to play. Well, don't leave yet. You can stay on the line for a second. Um, I'm going to play going out. This is Santa Claus is coming to town from Brian Tishy's new Christmas CD. Merry Tishmas. Thanks for Talk listening, guys. Timmy. Talk Timmy on Lee Talk. Oh, yeah. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.